0: have to be loud, we have to be louder. Um, And I think we also have to have courage to do things differently, right? There's, you know, good old fashioned door to door, knocking on doors, meeting people where they are, but we also have to do a lot more around civic engagement and what that means.
1: All righty, welcome in kids. Another uh, fantastic episode of your favorite political podcast, Alabama Politics, this week with Josh Moon and
2: David Person. I'm ready to go today, you know, man.
1: You ready to go, huh? Oh, yeah.
2: What has got you so excited, David? It's the Supreme Court ruling, dude. This is yeah. this is uh, <laughs> there's just so much here. We gotta we gotta dive into that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it's uh, it's very fortunate. We uh, we normally record on Thursdays and uh, the Supreme Court decision dropped on a Thursday. And so uh, mm-hmm. we uh, we were right. To, we were able to cover it in time. You know, sometimes we miss a, a thing or two. There's a lot of news that happens on Fridays for some reason. Uh, and uh, but but fortunately, we're in the right place at the right time on this one. And, um, you know, and so they, they essentially ruled that uh, the Alabama's going to have to redraw their uh, congressional district maps uh, because they had made. Uh, the, you know we have seven congressional districts, only one is a majority minority district. Um, and you know, they looked at, at Alabama's makeup and said it would be, you know the, the lower courts had already said it would be really easy uh, to determine, uh, how to, how to draw another majority minority district in this state. Uh, it would not impede so much of on the, you know, the limits of, of using race. Uh, and I think that that is true. I mean, you, you, you're going to have to, you have an opportunity to give people the representation that they deserve and. That's what the Supreme Court ultimately upheld in a very surprising five-to-four decision with uh, Roberts and Kavanaugh joining the three uh, more liberal justices and uh, and, and, and sending this back to Alabama to redraw in a second majority-minority district. So Mm -hmm. there we are, and I will turn it over to you now.
2: Yeah, so, you know, my my position on this has been— that this is sort of the lesser of evils mm-hmm. this is this is this is this is uh this does represent it re- it represents two things to me simultaneously one it represents a an advancement from where we are right but josh i would also argue that this still adheres to uh the the, the status quo in the sense that it it continues what I would call this, and, and well, not just what I've called, but others have called even before I ever heard of the concept, the stacking and packing that goes on. Gotcha. So we we basically still have a. I'm going to use a really weighted term here, Josh, a ghettoizing of black votes in the state of Alabama. We know the ideal scenario would be to have uh, districts that were drawn. Uh, based on you know, as as used to be done historically, uh, you know, uh, uh, things like uh, topography and geography, you yeah. know, so that they made sense, you know, based yeah. on the composition of a, of a, of a state's population and 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 where people live and are concentrated. But instead, we've got these crazy, you know, gerrymandered districts that were designed to um, give a distinct advantage in this state give a distinct advantage to uh, a white minor a white, a white majority yeah and that's going to continue under this that that's that's the status quo part that continues but i do think this is an improvement but it's not it's not what we actually need to have it's not really the most just solution it's just in this con- in this political environment it's the best we're going to get
1: Yeah, no, you're right. You're right about that. Um, And, you know, and it's always been my my belief and and my argument uh, that that we should at at the national level, at the national level, there should be legislation that requires uh, independent uh, redistricting boards. Uh, that, that come in after every census and these boards of people that are, you know, that, that, stu- and there'd be clear parameters that we all agree on that are fair for everybody, uh, you know, that look at, you know, whether or not we want to keep counties whole or communities whole or what, what, where, where we're putting an emphasis on things, but dividing these things up equally uh, along the way. And then if you divide it up and, and you, you elect better people, then okay, you know, but I think if you look at the states, that are the best run states in the country, I think you, you'll find that most of them have some sort of a shared ownership uh, in in the, in the in district maps. You know, there, there's something there that, that keeps them equal and fair. And it causes it causes the people you elect to be engaged with the communities that they serve. Uh, and not just the the party that they serve, you know, mm-hmm. the party registrants that they serve. It, it requires, you know, somebody. I mean, imagine if the district here was, you know, Athens, Madison, and Huntsville. You know, right. if that if that was the limit on this, and so even if you were a Democrat that were elect that was elected out of the center of Huntsville, you would still have to you know, travel to Athens and talk to those constituents that are there and appease a number of them. Uh, otherwise, you could be, you know, uh, up for or getting booted out of there because the, the, the numbers are so close. And I just don't know. I've never understood how it is that the common voter doesn't feel like they're best served by that.
2: I, well, I just don't get it. Well, do you think the common – I mean, I hate to <laughs> – yeah, I'm I hate to say this, but yeah, I don't think the common voter pays a whole lot of attention to this kind of stuff. Right? You know, you yeah. you and I have earned a living yeah. because yeah. we're in journalism and, and 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 political commentary. You know, we've earned a living paying attention to this kind of stuff. But most yeah. people are not, unless they have a financial reason or a home centered reason, like well, my child is in school and I'm concerned about, you know, whatever, uh, you know, implications there may be for my child being in school with whatever the political issue is. If it's not something like that, most people aren't paying attention. No, you're, you're right about that. Although, you know,
1: you, you do get the back end of it, which is who keeps electing these idiots? You know, and I mean, you know, where are these people? There's nobody good to vote for. Where do they all come from? And it, it, they come from this. They come from this process. That's the reason why is, is that you have you have dopes in a lot of cases because there are no there are no standards for you. Know, all you got to do when, when all you have to do is pledge allegiance to a party. And then and tow that line, then you you don't you don't end up with your best. Okay, you end up with the best people when you require them to focus on the needs and issues that most affect that community that they're representing. And there's only one way to do that, and that's by you know making them represent the community that they're representing. And it's and you know as we're doing it now, we just we're just not doing that. But you know even more so, you're right. It uh, we've this. this does give us probably the best possible outcome that we could have hoped for for now, yeah. uh, the Supreme Court decision. Um, and, you know, and I, I, you know, I guess we can now speculate, does this open the door uh, for our friend Stephen Reed? And, you know, in that, I mean, we have well, obviously we've got to wait to see where the, that district is going to be drawn. But most mm-hmm. speculation is, is that it's going to be in the second congressional district uh, that they're going to carve out or not really carve out, but put back in the carve out in uh, that in Montgomery uh, that opens up the rest of Montgomery County uh, and put it in the second congressional district, where it's now in Terry Sewell's district. And that then opens the door for a Democratic candidate from the Montgomery area and. I think that Stephen Reed is probably the top of that list
2: well i I definitely would have said that without hesitation before um the uh the the uh, secret tape scandal hmm. now since the secret tape scandal I, I i and i you know I don't live in Montgomery I don't have a lot of contacts down there. You have considerably more. What's your sense I mean do you think that that in light of that he's still uh, would be the, the, the number one person considered?
1: Yeah, I think so.
2: Okay I don't
1: I don't think there's anybody else. I mean, you just look at the mayor's race, you know, there's nobody that's gonna challenge him in that race. We, there was some polling that was done uh a few weeks back at, that showed him with I mean a sixty point edge over the next viable candidate. Um and, and I there's just there's just nobody in that area, I think, with the name recognition um uh, and the ability to, you know, and, you know, you got Joe Reed as well, they're helping you. And so I think that you, you've got a pretty strong um, base already. Um, mm-hmm. I think he also has the the business community mostly still on his side. And um, I, you know, I just think that it's, uh, it's, it's pretty tailor made for him to step into. And uh, I think that, you know, well. is something that he wants to do as well.
2: Okay, well, that was that was going to be my one of my follow ups. Does he actually want to do it? But well, let me let me let me toss something else out at you, Um, because, you know, you you were talking about name recognition and so forth. And then I thought, hmm, not that he would do it. But what if he did? Brian Stevenson.
1: Well oh, no. Yeah. If I uh, listen, if you if you could get somebody like that in there, then that changes the game. You know, yeah. and uh, and I think uh, immediately uh, Brian brings a, a whole different uh, sort of a candidate to the table. Um, And and I think that he uh, with his connections and with his fame um, and, uh, you know, but the, uh, then again, is that somebody that wants to do it, you know? Um, right. And right. and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he has those those political aspirations or not. I've not spent enough time uh, around him to know that if that's right. something that he would ultimately be, um, you know, favorable to. But yeah, listen. I think absolutely if he were to toss a hat in the in the ring. Uh, then then he becomes a very, very formidable person. Um, And uh, but, you know, again, that's that's all speculation as it is with Stephen, as it even is with whether or not that's going to be the second congressional district that's affected. You know, there has also been some talk that they could redraw something up in North Alabama uh, because they feel like they're going to have to do something up here anyway because of the shift in population Mm -hmm. uh, in the Huntsville area. And that maybe they could they could still do something up here uh, that that makes it a majority minority district again uh, but one more uh, that's a lot closer uh, than the, than the Terry Sewell district is to the 50/50 mark and all of a sudden you know you've got a you've got a good contest on your hands and and I think that was kind of emboldened by some of the results we saw from the elections this last year. Uh, where a lot of people thought some candidates in the in the Madison and Huntsville areas were going to do better than they ultimately did yeah. um and so so maybe they're they're thinking well let's take another run at this and 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 try to you know build that out maybe for the next few years we can get somebody in that not isn't, isn't quite as conservative as uh, you know a, a Robert Adderholt or somebody like that, but somebody that could probably hold on to that that seat for the law
2: Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Uh, <coughs> pardon me. Yeah, that... Um,
3: hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think about,
2: so, you know, if if you're talking about on the Republican side with the objective being for the Republicans to hang on to, to try to hang on to power mm-hmm. w- or, or to be competitive. Um, you know the the only name that comes to mind and I kind of hate to say this but the only name that comes to mind is Tommy Battle yeah. on the Republican side uh and I say Tommy Battle because um even though many of us have had severe grievances with him over things like uh you know police policing and um you know being one well that's that's probably the main thing for, for many of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's presided over a tremendous amount of growth and development in Huntsville. And he's managed to, except for when he ran for governor, he veered away from this a little bit in terms of aligning himself with Donald Trump. But for the most part, even with that Trump alignment, his tone didn't really change. Tommy yeah. has always been able to maintain sort of a, a sort of, you know and I and I would argue that the tone and even the <laughs> rhetoric doesn't match the actions but regardless the tone and the rhetoric that he's been able to maintain has been pretty moderate yeah relatively speaking so um you know he's he's clearly you know he's he's been a republican as long as I've no, been aware of him but he's never been a well I won't say never but he has rarely been a um just overtly, rabidly partisan kind of Republican. So he would be probably the one on that side. Now on on the Democratic side, uh boy, that would be interesting. Who would that you know? You got we got a lot of possibilities there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I would argue our friend Anthony Daniels would be one. Yeah. Uh if you're talking about unelected people who are relatively newcomers, newcomers, relatively speaking, you'd have to say Kim Lewis, you'd have to say Maryland land because they performed so well. um, uh, Despite, you know, the, the fact that, you know, Democrats were, you know, we, we took a beating everywhere, but they performed well in Madison County. Uh, I, I don't know if, if the, if the, if the district that you're envisioning includes the shoals or not, but if it did, yeah, you'd have to look at Wesley Thompson, I think as well.
1: Yeah, no, I, I honestly, I don't know exactly how they would draw it up, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I'm assuming it would end up being probably Robert Iderholt's district. Uh, you know,
2: that Oh, would, okay. Uh, His district.
1: Yeah. And so, um, and, and it would be carved down some, you know, and, and different, you know, and, and made it, made a different, Sort of, I, I, you know, honestly, I'd have to look at the, at the whole thing. Uh, you know, we could, you could also do, you could also shorten the, uh, or make more compact that, that uh, Dale Strong district over there as well. So, but because mm. honestly, I, I kind of, when I first looked at it, you, you know, I guess you go for the, the, you know, the younger folks first, uh, the, the people with the least amount of, of uh, tenure first. And so that would be very more and, and Dale Strong. Mm. And, uh, and so I, I would think that it would be one of those two. I, I think most people lean towards. Barry Moore just because I mean you know come on are oh, we're really losing anything <laughs> there uh and so um and you know what I mean uh so so uh and so that you know his name
2: comes up you just crack me up yeah <laughs> I know man it's just it's,
1: it's just unbelievable to me that the you know the accomplishments to intelligence ratio for that man is off the charts uh but um it, it's a um you, you know I I I, I just think it's interesting to look at the at the Huntsville because they are going to have to do something with these districts up here to make them you know viable with the with the growth of Huntsville over the next mm. few years and and so they're going to have to you know they're they're going to have to shorten that up a little bit and I think it's gonna continue to turn more and more purple uh as it as we go along and we'll see I don't I just don't think they can maintain that same sort of craziness. Uh like uh, even at Dale Strong has taken on. I mean with some of the things that he you know he says now it's very Mo Brookish. Uh and it's you know Okay. And, and and so I, I just don't think that that's going to be a continued thing for that district. And maybe uh, Strong can can transition back into the same person that people thought he was going to be uh, when he left. And uh, but, I you know, I don't know. I, so anyways, I think well, wait, to wait. me it's a, it's a custom made uh, sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Wait, me. I
2: need to ask you about what you just said. You said maybe he can transition back into the person people thought he was going to be. What do you mean by that?
1: I, I think a lot of people looked at Dale Strong and thought that he was not going to be Mo Brooks level crazy, you know, and, and I'm not saying he necessarily has been Mo Brooks level crazy. Uh, but I don't think that he, that, that most people envisioned him as, as uh you know, a hardcore right winger kind of freedom caucus kind of guy. Uh, hmm. I think that most people thought he was going to be more in the Robert Adderholt camp. You know where it was a guy that that knew people that was strong with business folks that were going to was going to go to d c and uh, and try to make a name for himself as a business friendly uh sort of a politician who uh you know stayed above the fray a little bit but uh um, you know, I, so I
2: expected him to be i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off go ahead no go ahead yeah i I expected him to be ideological he uh very hard right wing really um, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't expect him to reach the uh to be as um uh shall I say provocative or histrionic or um just you know prov- yeah, provocative and histrionic as Mo has been. You know, yeah. Mo's just said outrageous things. You know, he's still saying outrageous things if you put a microphone yeah. and a camera in front of him. Yeah, he does uh, because he. It's just like stuff. he can't
1: stop himself. It's like it's yeah. built into him.
2: Yeah, it's just sort of uh, he's on yeah. repeat or something. Yeah, you know, but um, but but I certainly thought that ideologically he was positioning himself to be that person. Yeah. So that that didn't you know I, that that has not it has not surprised me that he's been that person. Mm-hmm
1: well may, and may, maybe i just didn't know him well enough uh you know mm-hmm. uh, i just may, maybe that's my 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 problem you know him better than i and so uh uh that's uh, that may well, be on me but uh, you know i just uh I, I just thought that he was gonna be more of a of an adderholt kind of a person uh, mm-hmm. you know and I, nobody would say adderholt is is a moderate i don't think but no, you no, would still no. you would still wouldn't put him in the same category as mo brooks either right you know Right. Um, and so I thought, I thought that's who Dale Strong was going to be. It was going to be well, Robert Holt, Robert Adderholt Light or, you know,
2: the second. I, I'll say this. Um, Dale Strong could have been that person. Mm-hmm. He could have been that person. Uh, but he made a, I believe he made a conscious choice not to be because he thought that, this is my opinion, and you know i have and, and let me say on a personal level, I haven't had a lot of interaction with him. It's been fairly limited over the years, but I've certainly paid attention to him yeah. you know in in my in my role as a as a reporter a columnist commentator, that sort of thing through the years sure and um I'll tell you this um there was a there was a well I'll just go ahead and say it he he gave a um, when when Madison County Commissioner Bob Harrison died, mm-hmm. there was this big funeral for Bob over at uh, one of the the large uh, Missionary Baptist churches in Huntsville, Progressive Union Missionary mm-hmm. Baptist Church, and um, you know, and Dale was one of the you know was one of the few white faces in the in the house there, right. And he was one of the, and he may have been the only white person, at least that I recall, getting up to speak at that at that uh, service. Mm-hmm. And what he said, I don't remember what he said, until, you know, verbatim or anything like that. But I just remember the sentiment and how well it was received. I mean, it was very well received. He was very passionate in his uh, affirmation of Bob's legacy, even mm-hmm. though... You know, he and Bob, I think, were often on the opposite sides of issues. But he was very, very affirming of Bob's legacy. Right. And and he left when he left uh, when he left that podium after speaking. I recall that he got a very—I don't know if he got a standing ovation, but I know at the very least he got really warm applause. Yeah. And and I actually I remember sitting there, Josh, thinking, hmm. Maybe Dale is not who I thought he was. Yeah.
3: And then well, fast
2: forward and then I realized, no, nah, he's he's who you yeah. thought. He's <laughs> that dude. He's that dude.
1: As uh as uh Dennis Green was saying, they are who we thought they were. Right. Uh, it's, uh, 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 no, it's um All right you know i i guess you know i i knew him from from afar but we had some some common friends uh wow. in politics and and i think that's where i kind of maybe got my impression of him as is, is not as you know not so far right wing crazy and maybe that was wrong but you know I, I don't I, all I know is uh, one of these dudes is about to have a hard election coming up <laughs> that's all I know huh? <laughs> uh, so whether that's uh, Barrymore or uh, Sayonara, uh, or Dale <laughs> Strong um, it, it, we'll see and, and who uh, you know I, it would be nice if it were up here because I do think that the first name you mentioned as a Democratic candidate would be the person that could run and um, and that's uh, Anthony Daniels and I I think that he is he's positioned himself pretty well to do that and he's got he's got a lot of support from a lot of of people around here he's been he's made a lot of business friends over the course of the last few uh, legislative sessions including this one Uh, and his work on that overtime tax I think is going to be something that draws him a lot of national recognition as well Mm -hmm. uh, as other states mimic that bill and uh, so yeah I think that's uh, that's that's something that could go a long way although we'll see we'll see uh, we'll see how it goes I know that uh, Uh, this is the other reason why I think it's going to be down in the second congressional district is I know that Joe Reed and his group have been very heavily involved in the redistricting process. Mm -hmm. And so they have done that for a number of years. And, will I think that they're they're setting themselves up to do it again.
2: Mm. uh, Well, well, that'll be interesting, uh, especially in light of where things seem to be headed with the state Democratic Party. Yes,
1: indeed. Right. That'll be very interesting.
2: Yeah. Man. all right i'll and, tell you what and, and, oh i'm sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say well i know we gotta go but just a real quick thing that maybe we can pick it up after our guest so what does that how does steven if steven reed has those aspirations how does he navigate that um i mean in what way well i'm saying if you know if it if if you know well, I'm just going to say it this way. whether you like Joe, no, you know, Stephen Reed can't escape the fact that he's Joe Reed's son. Sure. So the name Joe Reed, meaning what it means to many, many, as we as you and I both know, power brokers in the, in the Democratic Party uh and 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 also to a segment of democratic voters. Mm-hmm. How does how does Steven navigate that if he's got aspirations that are higher well, than mayor of Montgomery?
1: I'll say that I think if that were going to hurt him anywhere the most it would be in the city of Montgomery where he and his father have lived for their lives. Um and the fact that he is the mayor of Montgomery fairly comfortably, I think Sets him up pretty well.
2: Well, I, okay. So I, I understand where you're going with that. My Mm -hmm. counter though, is that if he's, if he were to run for Congress, now we're not just talking about Montgomery. We're talking about the power, the national power brokers. We're talking about, we're talking about Doug Jones and we know that Doug and Joe are as far apart as night and day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Anyway, I know we, yeah. we got to get out of here. Yeah, so
1: well, just, we, we can pick it back up after yeah. uh, after we get uh, Taffany English on from uh, from Southern Poverty Law Center and uh, and talk about uh, this. Uh, the Supreme Court decision and their yeah. year in hate review uh, as well. Uh, we'll be back in uh, just a minute to pick it up. Alabama politics this week. Back in a minute. Uh, If y'all would do us a favor and uh, go, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review our little podcast here. Uh, That would be very, very helpful for us. Uh, You know, people might pay us to do this. You Uh, never
2: know. Yeah, but yeah, but let's not stop at Apple. Also, uh, you can do the same thing on Google Play, Amazon, and some of the more Android friendly, uh, you know, platforms Uh as well.
1: I forget that Dave is an Android guy. I am. <laughs> Me, I'm a conformist. And so, you know, go to Apple. But seriously, wherever you go, just do it. Just, just go and, and rate and review, and, and that would be very nice. Unless you're going <laughs> to leave a bad one. Don't do, don't do that.
2: Josh not don't, like that. Don't leave a
1: bad one. Thank you. Alrighty, Welcome back, Alabama Politics This Week, and we are happy now to be joined again. Um, uh, for the second time, man, we, we're doing good getting her on. Uh, we have got uh, the director of the Alabama Office of the Southern Poverty Law Center. That is a Taffney English Relf. Man, look at me getting all those names right. How about that? You it.
0: You look at that. Look at that's you. right. And
1: mm-hmm. so that's it for me. David, take over. So, uh, first of all, thanks for coming on. Um, and we are we wanted to talk to you about the Southern Poverty Law Center's year in hate uh, review uh, that just was published. And I know we've done some stories in APR and there have been other stories around and some other outlets and stuff. But before we get there. Uh, we we've just p- spent the first opening segment kind of talking about uh the uh, the u s Supreme Court decision that came down today in terms of voting rights uh for the state of Alabama and how that opens things back up from your perspective uh i know I know you had to be surprised everybody was surprised by this uh, but uh, beyond that, what do you think it means for this state?
0: You know, I actually think it's a good day um, for Alabama. And I more than anything, I really hope it adds additional fuel to all of the voting rights um advocates and organizations on the ground that this is not a stopping place. This it it surprised a lot of folks. I think um, we were expecting to hear a ruling a couple of months ago. And then the longer it waited, um on Saturday, Alabama Ford hosted an event, Democracy Now or, ne- or Never. And I remember sitting there and I was like, this may actually be a good thing for us. Like there was this little ounce of hope that they would do the right thing. And they actually did do the right thing. Um, it reaffirms for us. Um, that there is power in grassroots organizing on the ground and working with the people. Um, you know, the individuals who were listed uh, on this and outside of the national organizations, you know, SPLC wrote an amicus brief early on. And I, I, it's just a powerful statement. But now, what we need, we really need for Congress to write a substantial uh ruling on voting rights. We know Shelby Beholder gutted voting rights. Uh, we're coming up on 10 years uh, of that ruling and there are planned events throughout the state of Alabama, just um, really educating communities on what that means, but what we need to do moving forward. And so um, kudos to everyone um, who did that. It is a big deal. I don't want people to think that you know this ruling was it and we stop here. No, we we have to keep fighting and keep digging. Uh, We know HB 209 was a bill that actually died Uh, and didn't make it to the Senate floor, thankfully, but it was a bill um, that would prevent anyone from assisting folks with absentee ballots. It will probably come back again in the next legislative session. So we've we've got a lot more groundwork to cover um, and we've got to take advantage of these uh, congressional districts that we have and we've got to get people to the polls. Like, thank you for registering and thanks for the numbers, but we need you at the polls locally and nationally. You yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's um you're right. It 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 is a big deal. Uh and it is just a step along the way and you know uh, and and you're also right. I was going to bring this up was uh you see the attacks that are still happening on voting rights now. Um and the limits that you know one specific political party continues to try to put on voting. Um and you know it 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 has to be something that the, beyond everything else i know it's important i know we're going to get a second congressional district but even beyond that the hope that it has to give to people now uh that, that's got to be a good thing doesn't it
0: oh absolutely absolutely um but i i also think because you know, I always say apathy is not an option, right? Mm-hmm. But it very much has become an option for a lot of a lot of folks. And we have to be on the ground, elevating the issues of concern to all people and how it impacts all people. We have to be loud, we have to be louder. Um, and I think we also have to have courage to do things differently, right? There's, you know, good old fashioned door to door, knocking on doors, meeting people where they are, but we also have to do a lot more around civic engagement and what that means. Uh, Specifically for our our younger generation, they're on fire. They know that things aren't working. They know that things are wrong, but there are also a large percentage of them who don't feel that their vote matters. And so we've got to work across generations and do the intergenerational work uh, to really get people to the polls and get them running for office.
2: Mhm <laughs> you know, uh Taffini, as I listen to you uh it 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 reminds me of a conversation I had earlier this week, and I know that part that that conversation was taking place in a partisan context. I know that that the Southern Poverty Law Center is nonpartisan but 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 it sounds as though we have some of the same concerns, and what I wonder is um what, what do you think it's going to take to engage civically a generation or two, at least, who have really not been given the same kinds of civic instruction that I know I certainly got as a child, and I, I think Josh got it as a child? How do we engage those generations that? just they 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 don't seem to have a real level of awareness as to how their lives are affected on a daily basis by what happens, you know, at the in the legislature and in Congress and, and, and locally.
0: You know, I, I that goes back to building relationships, right? Um, David, and especially with, as you mentioned, I received a lot of that civic education. Um, I attempted to also provide that same civic education to younger generations within my family um, and in community whenever I had the chance. Um, but it, it really stems back to building that relationship and creating the spaces where we can have those civic dialogues. We know that education is being attacked. Um, we know that there are discussions around not talking um, or teaching about accurate history. And we know that within the Deep South, voting rights and the civil rights movement is a critical part of that history. But if we don't talk about it, if we don't educate about it, um, then again, we have that that entire the generations that we will continue to lose. So I think that that is creating space and community. Um, I do, you know, want to say that I think we underestimate what our young people don't know, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and we only will find that out outside of the social media handles, right? We find that by really engaging with them, meeting them where they are um, and really elevating the issues that are of concern to them. You know, like what's happening in their communities that's influenced by the way in which we vote, right? Outside of party, like what are the issues? What are your local politicians supporting, right? We know poverty is a huge issue uh, in a lot of the rural communities in the Deep South. Broadband, access to adequate education, access to health care, food deserts, those things. What are your politicians that are representing you? How are they voting? Where is the money coming into the states, right? Mm -hmm. We look at how easy it is uh, for our state to pull from our education fund. I don't, I'm like, do, they, do are you looking for money elsewhere? It's so easy to pull from the education fund to allocate money for other things, right? Yeah. And so putting those issues on the table in real ways so that students can understand them. We know public education has been taking a hit for two decades. And I remember someone um, who I admire, Dr. Richard Bailey was on a panel and he said, anytime... You go into a community and you can identify a school as this is a predominantly black school, this is a predominantly white school, or this is a school for um Latin, we've lost the spirit of brown.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and so, yeah. you know, I think keeping all of those things um in in context, you know, look at, you know, those who are incarcerated, how is that impacting communities, right? right. Yeah. Um, So there are so many ways in which we can engage. And I think it moves so far beyond us knocking on doors, getting people registered to vote. But we really have to help them to understand um, everything, almost everything that we touch on a daily basis is informed by voting.
2: So it sounds like you're talking about and I don't want to put words in your mouth. So correct me if I'm off base here. And oh, and by the way, thank you for for pushing back on my assertion about Younger generations, because you're right, it's not all young people, and I certainly didn't mean to communicate that um, but but I do sense, and I think it's more or less understood that that the decline in civic education has had an impact on on uh, generations of people, but it's not all young people, you're exactly right. So I get the sense, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that you're talking about events. Are you talking about staging events? in communities, maybe churches or community centers or something like that? Or are you talking about that and maybe targeted social media kinds of uh, promotions?
0: Yeah, I think it's a combination. So I'm saying an and. So moving beyond events, because I also think events are transactional, right? Mm -hmm. I think events are, let's go into the community, let's get people out. We're gonna post it on social media. We had so many people show up. I'm more concerned with, What information did they take away? How did they use it? And what changed in their communities after the event? So I think that there are a series of things that we can do. Um, I'm actually thinking of something uh, much more deeper, right? So uh, there's this, you all have heard of Freedom Schools, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Also the Alabama State Office, we have the Civil Rights Memorial Center up under our umbrella. Using spaces like that to really inform um, and educate and teach. So the Civil Rights Memorial Center just launched a youth leadership institute. And today, actually, um, our youth leadership, we have 23 students in this in our, in this uh, first cohort, and they're traveling to Mississippi, another deep southern state that is also. Uh, struggling with a lot of the same issues that we are. And they're engaging in conversation about social justice issues. Part of the, uh, the work, we'll work with them throughout the year They will actually participate in what we're calling a capstone project where they have to identify an issue within their community. They work to come up with resolutions and they'll present this on MLK's uh, birthday, which we know is the day of service. And I think the day of service uh, goes beyond picking up trash on the side of the street, although that's important.
3: Sure, right.
0: I think um, for MLK Day, um, we wanted to do something substantive. And so they'll look at issues that um, they're dealing with in there. So we have students from Lowndes County and Montgomery County. Next year, we'll expand that to Macon County. Um, and so we're hoping to build on this year after year and eventually having a statewide uh, program for youth. And uh you know Brian Stevenson is doing something similar um, through the Equal Justice Initiative as well. you know
1: you know the education portion of that uh, kind of ties in directly to to really the reason why we were going to have you on to begin with, which is uh, uh, the year in hate review um, i I wonder just how much. Education does, does, you know, could, could have could have quelled some of these uh, uh, instances of of hate and and really knocked back membership in some of these groups that are that have demonstrated such hate. But I guess first of all, tell tell people what you, the year in hate review is, uh, where they can find it, and and kind of an overview of what of what it found this year.
0: Sure thing, um, Josh. So our year in hate is an annual report. On the tracking of hate and extremism across the country. Our um, program, The Intelligence Project, is tasked with documenting hate, um, hate groups, anti-government extremist groups. And this year, um, they documented 523 hate groups, um, 702 anti-government extremist groups. Uh, and you can find that information by visiting SPL Center dot org. And I'm going to the intelligence projects page. Um, It will take you directly to that. And you can also just go down um, the drop menu and find the hate map as well. And it lists the anti-government groups and the hate group. So that's what the year in hate is Uh, what, you know, and I I gave you the numbers, uh, you know, of what that found, but they also this year, um, Listed uh, groups that were anti-inclusion or anti-inclusion around education as well, and so uh, we've received a lot of attention on that um, yeah. in the last few days, as you can imagine.
1: I can imagine. I can imagine one group in particular: uh, yeah. the yeah. Uh, the Karens for Liberty. Oh, I'm sorry. The Moms for Liberty um, group um, uh, is was listed. I can imagine that they were very happy about that. Uh, but they've been one of the groups that's been you know they're they're active in Alabama. They've also been active all around the country in in getting books banned. Um, and, you know, we, we talked to children's authors on this, on this show, you know, about, uh, their books being banned and, and how the, the effect that that's going to have on children, you know, why, I guess, since they're probably making the most noise, why, why are they making so much noise and how did they end up on the list?
0: Sure. Uh, Moms for Liberty was included in our um, 2022 Year in Hate report due to the group's anti government principles, right? Mm-hmm. Their trafficking and conspiracy theories about an illegitimate government, um, their actions to, as you said, to censor school discussions around race, discrimination, and gender identity. Uh, Moms for Liberty promotes an agenda that deprives students of a comprehensive, inclusive education that reflects Our country's history um, and diverse student body, right? They Mm -hmm. have been, um, they're headquartered in Florida. As you stated, they do have a chapter here, uh, according to the website, but they are at the forefront of a reactionary, outspoken minority referred to as the anti student inclusion movement. Um, And they target funding for public education. They're advocates for the abolition of the Department of Education. They're spreading hateful rhetoric uh, and targeting the LGBTQ community. And they really push out this theory, though, um, that we've seen with the book bans, the changes to curriculum. But as I said, the LGBTQ and acceptance in schools and the community. But overall, they're also working to overturn school boards like they're running for office. They're getting on school boards. They're terminating superintendents um, who are in support of inclusive education. And you know, I you know I think that Moms for Liberty, their tactics are definitely hateful. Um, and you know, when you look at some of the other things that they're doing, like calling for uh, the Department of Education to be disbanded, and again, going after public schools which is again, fundamental to the education of a large number of, of minority uh, students, right? right? And so this notion that they're doing this for all parents, you're not doing it for me, yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm a parent, I want, I want my child to learn about all of history. Right. But more importantly, I also want the African-American history, the black history, the black experience of, of of folks in this country to be taught in an accurate way. The same way we want to teach about the Confederacy. Yeah. You know, I think I said this on the segment before you want to uphold and teach about the Confederacy, but you don't want to talk about slavery, which was I mean, like it was critical <laughs> to the economic growth in the South. Yeah. You know. Like, are the, you kidding me?
2: The Confederacy was was founded specifically to ensure yeah. that slavery was maintained as an institution absolutely. in the South. There's no other reason for it.
0: A- absolutely. Absolutely. And we're fighting, uh, you know, on on the local level to maintain statues and markers. Right. Um you know, so I, I, this notion of, uh, you know, and, and again, back to Moms for Liberty, aside from their rhetoric, they've also, in some parts of the country, taken up arms and members of the Patriot Front, um, members of the Proud Boys have served as security guards for them. They've shown up at uh, events where they're running for office. So that connection and that tie there um, is definitely not um a fight for liberty for all people yeah
1: yeah it's Liberty, kind of. And it goes back again to, to something you talked about earlier about the, the civic engagement, um, and you know that's the way that these people are getting elected is the lack of civic engagement, because they are they do represent a a, a minority of people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the the that, those crazy ideas are are not the ideas of most folks out there, uh, and they rely on the lack of civic engagement, right?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But what well, I would say, oh, I'm yeah. sorry, you have no, no, it. go ahead, go ahead. What what I will say is just, um, you know, again, coming from the Alabama State Office perspective, um, our goal is to really engage community, to equip them um, so that they're able to speak up. And I've said this on almost every platform that I've been on. Those of us who do not share the beliefs of, ind- of of groups like moms for liberty or or the patriot front or the proud boards of any of those organizations we have to speak up and our voices have to be louder and we have to join hands with advocates and so what i would like to see is you know i, I go back to the situation in hoover i think it was like one parent who prevented an author and even though educators were speaking up the the leadership still caved And so my question was like, why, why was that? So I think we need to show up and we need to show up with facts. We need to show up as a collective. So there needs to be leaders, there needs to be parents, there needs to be students, and it needs to be a community collective showing up. We need to show up at school board meetings. We need to show up at city council meetings. And so that is one of the things that we'll be working on with the state office um, so that people can take a stand and speak out against any form of hate, any form of political violence and extremism, um, and really confront the reactionary anti student inclusion and censorship campaigns. We have to, if we're going to win this thing, we have to.
2: Hey, uh, Josh, let me slide one more question in sure. here. Uh, something uh, Tafini just said kind of triggered a thought, and it's a, it's an old theme that we've discussed on this podcast before, but it's still a I think it's still a reality uh, to some degree. You talked about joining hands and and working along with, um, you know, other advocates, you know, in this space, uh, Tafini, and I think you're absolutely right. But I want to ask you, specifically because of your position with the Southern Poverty Law Center, what do we do about the ongoing friction between the Black church and maybe you could even say by extension to some degree, the black community and the LBGTQ community. Mm-hmm. What do we do about that?
0: You know, again, I, I think we have to be vocal and I think we have to, in the community, um, you know, challenge our parishioners and our leaders to be f- more engaged on that end. Right. Um, I, I, and I can speak from my experience. You know, um, I grew up as a Christian. I actually grew up Kojic and then I was non-denominational. But what I've looked for in churches that I belong to are churches that are truly inclusive. And that means that they also can speak out publicly um, in support and become allies for the LGBTQ community. Um, I think when we look at scripture, right? Um, And and specifically around justice, justice is for all. Yes. Justice is for all. And so I think we have to have some hard conversations um, with the church. And I I think too, I don't know, you know, my experience growing up, it was not something that we actually heard preached from the pulpit. Like I, I would say growing up, I never heard my pastor talk about it in in a derogatory way. It just wasn't mentioned, right? You knew that you had members in the congregation. You knew that it was there. I've heard private conversations, of course, right? Mm -hmm. But I didn't. And then, you know, I think with this whole, um, I don't want to say that, but I'm going to say it. It's not like the prosperity gospel, but the more evangelical, sometimes we're preaching to emotions and to get a rise out of Mm -hmm. folks. Um, and then you hear, right, you hear that. But I think it's going to take some hard conversations uh, with the black church. And I will say, and it's not only the black church, right, right. It comes right. To LGBTQ, um, I think. Um, in, in a lot of instances, uh, we could probably have some on- honest conversations there, probably right. more honest than we could in other spaces.
2: Right. It's not just the black church. Uh, very right. true. But. In light of the fact that we know the black church has been uh you know very much aligned with uh the civil rights community mm-hmm. and very much a part of the civil rights legacy it it has uh it has been to me a real dilemma and a real sort of perplexing kind of situation to see that uh, pastors still Will make, I'll still hear sometimes statements from the pulpit that I consider to be homophobic. Uh-huh. Uh, certainly, conversations in the black community that are homophobic. Uh-huh. And there still seems to be, even though I've seen a change and I see growth and development in this area, there still does seem to be a reticence, generally speaking, among black people, especially black church going people, to to get what you said earlier about the fact that the biblical concept of justice is unconditional. Mm-hmm. It's unconditional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, It's not supposed to be just for, you know, people that fit into certain categories.
0: It's for everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I just want to add this point too um, It's something that we don't often talk about because I also think about this anti-LGBTQ, uh, you know, uh, the whole concept. And I think what people miss is that we have a large number of of individuals who are black who are targets of 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 hate crimes. They're target of assault and vandalism. So when we talk about, you know, kind of the this whole concept of it being in the black community, we also have to preface it. Uh, with that and make sure that people know that black people too belong in that community. They are, they are part of that community. And I think the more we say that as well um, in the black church and in the black community, uh, we, we, we remind them that it is not exclusive. uh, Right. right? Um, But again, we're a lot of work to do there. um, And uh, it's going to be critical because the church is still a part of the community, a fabric of the community.
1: Yeah. Listen, I'll tell you this. I don't think that there's uh, anywhere else that you're going to find the, the discussion that we've just had um, uh, out there. Uh, and I mean that uh, I take great pride in that. Uh, yeah. You know, you're not, it's a, it's a very informed and a very, um, uh, you know, it's a very deliberate conversation. Uh, that uh, uh here and and we really appreciate you coming on uh it's a Taffany english rail for the alabama director uh, or the director of the alabama office of the splc and it, you know i know you're busy uh, I know y'all have got all sorts of things going on. We heard all the things that you've got to do and the things that you're trying to do. And um, and, and listen, whenever we can be of assistance, you you let us know, because we, we believe that that all the education stuff that y'all are trying to do is very important. And, uh, and we're happy to help in any way we can here. So uh, just thank you for the time.
0: Thank you so much, Josh and David. I appreciate it. All right.
1: That is Taffy English Rail for the Southern Poverty Law Center. We'll be back in just a minute to wrap this thing up. Alabama Politics This Week.
2: If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama Politics This Week. And I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out with ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, Your support makes a difference and it means a lot.
1: Alrighty, Welcome back. Alabama politics this week. Josh Moon, David Person, and uh, really appreciate uh, Taffany coming on and, and spending some time. She, man, she knows yeah. her stuff. She, uh, you ask a question of Taffany and she, she gives you the information. It's comprehensive. She knows the points. Uh, she knows, she has ideas uh, and opinions on things. And it's, it's just, it's so nice when you can do that, toss it to somebody as a guest and they, they give you that information and it's not pulling teeth. And, uh, Absolutely. It's, uh, and, and it's nice to have to know that somebody like that is also running the the state office for the Southern Poverty Law Center in this state, and so mm-hmm. um, good good for them. Uh, yeah. If if you would like to get in touch with us, apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com <laughs> is the way to do so. As Stephen did, uh, mm-hmm. and and others have, uh, mainly to convince us to buy uh, you know erectile dysfunction medication, but um, and so. I, <laughs> I don't really know why that is a thing, but that's what they do. Uh, well, I, but, I
2: never, I never got that email. Okay. Really?
1: really, You just overlooked that one, huh? I think it was addressed directly to you. Not certainly not to me. <laughs> so,
2: uh, it was, I, uh, I uh, beg to differ. But anyway. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: Stevens had a question though, uh, about uh, HB 209, which was, um, which would have pulled Alabama out of the electronic registration information center. Uh, or I'm sorry. Uh, That one, HB 209 would not have done that. All right. We've already done that. We've already pulled our new secretary of state has already removed Alabama from uh, from Eric, the Electronic Registration Information Center. 209 was the bill that would have criminalized assisting people with absentee ballots, basically. Hmm. Um, And. This was also pushed by our new uh, Secretary of State, Wes Allen. And uh, Stephen wanted to know if uh, the fact that he could not get this thing passed, with it being his signature legislation, was an indication of how the legislature felt about him. Um, I would say, yes, it is. Hmm. Uh, And more so, it also was, you know, uh, the way the legislature and even Republicans felt about that bill uh there was not a clear consensus on the legality of that bill which i think there probably is it just was not a consensus on uh, that they wanted to hear necessarily because the consensus was that it was unconstitutional as hell that mm-hmm. you are trying to outlaw me from walking across the street and telling my neighbor hey uh you know you ought to let me do you need some help with your ballot let me help you out i'll help you out with this thing or do you need some help filling out the the application form i'll help you out with it uh, the idea that you could criminalize free speech in that manner is the weirdest thing I think has ever come out of this state. In a, in a, and that's saying something, you know, Right. Uh, but that is I mean, that's essentially you're you're criminalizing uh, speech that it should ordinary it is not is not harmful in any way. And you know, I understand there are limitations on free speech. Certainly, you know, you mm-hmm. can't just make up lies about people or things like that, and um, uh, there there are consequences to doing those things. But you that that is an impediment to free speech that like I've never seen before, and I think a lot of attorneys felt the same way. And you know, and, and so I I just I don't think that it was a very well thought out bill uh, to begin with.
2: Well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I will. And I'm going to just go ahead and say that I think that's because it came from a place that wasn't really rooted in logic. It was about race, in my opinion. This was about trying to, um, you know, I, well, I think it's, you know, it's it's not uncommon. I'll say it this way. It's not uncommon for in the black community, especially I'll say because I know that to be a fact. You know, for people to the day of election or the or the week of election to call around, hey, I need some, you know, give me some feedback. What what should I who should yeah. I be voting for? Or what what issues do I need to be thinking about? Or people can call
1: you... me with that stuff all the time.
2: Okay, all so, the time. And so you're and see that's where I think they messed up because they were assuming I think I think, my opinion is, I think they were assuming that this was just a black thing. It's not just a black thing. It's a people thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And especially, I think, uh, well, I won't say especially, but I suspect that you you probably have it in communities also where you're talking about older populations, Yeah, you know, people that, you know, because of their age and their health, you know, they're not necessarily up on everything that they should be up on. And so right. they reach out for help.
1: Well, I'll tell you, honestly, I'll tell you where I, I would, well, I know that there, there's a lot of big pushback from, uh, from, you know, disabled organizations, you know, the organizations mm-hmm. that advocate for disabled folks. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I'll tell you, man, where, where I get the most questions about things are on things like amendments to the constitution. Uh, to, yeah, to the state constitution. And and because they are worded office, uh, you know, just illegally. Uh, yeah. Well, it's just Jeez. intentionally. Uh, yeah, it's intentionally confusing. To yeah, it's uh, yeah. Yeah. And so so they can slap a, an overview statement onto something. And, and get a vote for it. Um, and so a lot of people will call me and say, Hey, I'm reading this. Does this mean what I think it means? And, uh, you know, and a lot of, the, and I think that goes on with a lot of people that, you know, they, they mm. read through this, the, the ballot initiatives on things and they're like, what the hell do these words mean together? You know, right. and why are there 37 commas in this? You know, and <laughs> I mean, really, uh, there, there's right. some <laughs> sentences in there that are just off the charts. And, you know, yeah. and uh, Stephen also asked, you know, whether or not John Merrill would have been able to get this bill passed. I'm going to tell you and people are going to disagree with me and maybe even David will disagree with me. John Merrill would have never brought this bill. Uh, I, I, I don't think for a second John Merrill would have brought this bill. I, I don't. I don't. I do not believe that he would have done so. And, uh, you know, and I know John Merrill and all of his problems are well-documented and all that. Okay. I get it. I get it. I know he's done some things, but in terms of being a secretary of state for a dark red state, I think that John Merrill did a pretty good job, okay? I think he fought off some things that that passed in other states and did not go as far as he could have gone on a lot of things uh, that he would have had a limit to because he felt like they weren't right. And I don't think he would have brought this bill. That's just my opinion. Hmm. Now, David's going to disagree.
2: Yeah, I'm not not as convinced of – I'm not going to be as benevolent with him as you have (laughs) – as you are i'm not convinced that he wouldn't have brought this bill uh he, to me he was pretty uh pretty i to me he was much more of a, a party I, in my opinion he was a much more of a party line guy than than i think you see him as can, can well, you give me an example
1: he, of why why you think that way of why, of why you think of of I mean, what what led what? I mean, no, I'm not trying to hold you to like some specific thing here. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make a BS argument with you. What, you can't remember one or something like that. But I'm just saying, even in an overview sense, something something that that lead, led you to think that way. Because I I know well, of, of a couple of things that that I that lead me to believe why I believe the things I do about John Merrill.
2: Right, and I think for me, really and 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 you're and you're making a fair point in this regard. I think for me, it may not be always so much the specific actions, mm-hmm. but just the rhetoric and the tone. Yeah, you know, to me, his rhetoric and tone was very much in lockstep with the things that I have come to despise about uh uh right-wing politicians. And I'm not right. just talking about conservatism. Uh, you know, I, you know, even though I don't agree with conservatism ideologically, you know, I, I get, you know, I get, you know, the fact that there are going to be people who are conservative. And I, and I understand that there may be, I'll say, valid reasons, even if I disagree with them, valid reasons for which a person would be conservative on an issue. What really sticks in my craw, as the old folks used to say, what really pisses me off. Is the rhetoric? It's the rhetoric and the tone, and that's yeah. where I think I fought him.
1: Yeah, I, I listen. I get that completely. Okay, and uh, and and he he was terrible, terrible at handling criticism, uh, and and he was such an asshole to people on social media,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and and so I understand completely when people tell me that they hate John Merrill. You know, especially when their interactions were that way with him. I I get it. He he deserves. You know, whatever feeling you had for him because of the way he treated so many people uh, who he didn't really know and who were making, in in some cases, very valid points about things that were going on. Um, but I'll tell you that I sat in his office one day and um, I essentially overheard him uh, kind of warding, uh, fending off uh, other Alabama lawmakers that were encouraging him to do certain things. And and one of those things was purging the voting rolls mm-hmm. um, and the way that they wanted him to purge the voting rolls. Mm-hmm. And the way that they wanted him to purge the voting rolls was uh, initially, they just wanted them to, to wipe out these people that couldn't, that couldn't do this stuff. And he, he was like, no, we can't, we're not going to do this. We're not going to, we're going to have a system. We're going to have a process. We're going to go through it. We're going to do it the right way. Um, and, and he went about, Uh, setting up this process. Well, when he set up the process, what they wanted him to do was they wanted him to do like several other red states and mail out a card to these voters. And if you didn't return the card, then you got removed from the rolls. Okay? That's -hmm. what they wanted. Instead, instead, Merrill sent the card, but if it went to your address and you received it, and you were not the person on the card, you were supposed to mail it back in and let them know that that person had moved to a different address. So you know, that it, it disenfranchised far fewer people, uh, you know, and and, you, and they argued that it disenfranchised no one, because if somebody if it had disenfranchised somebody, they disenfranchised themselves by sending the card back in. Um, mm. You know, and so so that was that was one example of of, you know, things where it could have gone a different way. And, you know, there were there were a couple of others as well. And uh, it just you know, I just felt like in terms of, I'll tell you another one the, is the the mobile voter units and and sending people out mm. to to you know mm. do the voter IDs. You know, I had an argument, a pretty intense argument with him in that office about in front of a lot of people that were there. His entire staff was in this little meeting, mm. and and we had an argument about voter ID. And I told him that it was bullshit and that wow. I know that he knows it's bullshit. And he's like, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I can tell you that, you know, we got to have voter ID. And I said, well, yeah, but you don't have to have the one that we have. And he's like, well, you know, if you want to prevent fraud. And I was like, you know, it's bullshit. And, and so we argued back and forth about this thing. But at the same time, they did enough to placate the courts, even prior to the holder decision, uh, that that voter ID requirement and the way that they were handling it by offering people free voter IDs and doing all these different things, uh, you know, it did not infringe upon their rights uh, as a voter. I still argue that it was unnecessary and an impediment to voting. And, uh, but at that, at the same, he also argued to me, it's not my law. I'm just the one that's uh, that's here to enforce it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I'm doing the best that I can with it. And so, Uh you know, I, I just took, the viewpoint of, was Merrill my ideal Secretary of State? No, of course not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we could have had a lot worse, and I believe we do now.
2: Yeah, and, and I will say, I, I I did think, I remember feeling this way, that um, that the, uh, the way that his office handled voter ID was a lot better than I would have expected it to have been. I do remember yeah. feeling that way, specifically because of the ability for poor people, uh, well, I guess anybody, but in theory, I, I think, but but definitely for poor people to get cards at no cost. You just had mm-hmm. to put forth a little bit of effort to do so. I still would rather, and, and I get, you know, he didn't make the law. He was just, he had to live by it and enforce it. But, um, but I, I still wish that we had in our state and in our country just automatic registration. You know, you get, yeah. you know, when you get your driver's license, you're automatically registered to vote. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or when you, you know, just, you know, or when you sign up for the draft, if there, are they still doing that? I guess they're still doing that. Uh, yeah. then you're automatically registered to vote. I mean, just, you know, just put, put that in place in some kind of way. Uh, you know, um, you know we we've just there's just been too many impediments to voting, but I yeah. I, I give you that. I give you
1: well, that. and I'll say this: uh what you're talking about there was probably the dumbest thing that I ever heard come out of John Merrill's mouth, uh, which he talked about. You know why that shouldn't be, and that you ought to have to put forth a little effort to vote and things like that. That's you know, or to register to vote, and uh, you know I I thought that 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 was just. Absolutely ridiculous. And his yeah. his view on that was absurd. And, uh you know, it, it there's no reason why I shouldn't be automatically registered when I go get my driver's license. And then when I want to show up to the polls and vote for whoever mm-hmm. I want to vote to represent me in my government, I should be able to damn well do that, mm-hmm. you know? There's no reason why it shouldn't be that way. So, you know, and if you want to require, you know, uh, registering or whatever you know, more frequently, okay, you know, but I, I don't think that that's, uh, uh, I, I don't think that it's, it's something that, the, the, that should be a hurdle. You know, there's no effort right. that you should be put, have to put into it. Uh, you know, you should have that right to go and elect the people that's going to represent you. That's just the way mm-hmm. that it should be.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, all right. Uh, right wing nut. Yep. Uh, right wing nut is Mike Pence. Uh, <laughs> uh, for his uh, just insane uh answer uh during a town hall on CNN, uh, the and very Rich,
2: definition, Josh, of cognitive dissonance.
1: It's just um, it's, it's to watch him get caught. In uh, such an absurd <laughs> statement, you know, as he was just coming off the heels of saying something completely different. Sure. Uh, I mean, and and to, you know, it it just was. It, so last during this was Wednesday night, I believe at the uh, at a town hall, and uh, and Pence uh, was asked about the indictments that seem to be. Uh, coming for Trump any day now. And uh, and he basically said, uh, well, he basically said, he said they should not indict the former president because it's a bad look for the country. Um, no. And the lawyer uh, said, what are you talking about? Just a few minutes ago, you said <laughs> it's justice for all and nobody's above the law. What are you saying? And, 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 and so and also he had to, he, he just had to backtrack for a second and been like,
2: <laughs> and he also said, I think, it, it may have been in that same setting or the speech he gave before, I can't remember. He also said that no one who has has done the things that Trump has done should be eligible for office. It's just Should it's be just... eligible to even run for office. He He basically said Trump should be Shouldn't even be considered. He should be disqualified, DQ'd based on his actions. So then how do you come around and then turn around and say, but no, we should not indict him though. It's
1: just, it's just pure insanity, man. It's like there's a, there's it's like there's a whole brain disease going on over there uh, in that party. And it's just, they're they're so, they've been so completely corrupted by Trump and, and this attitude that he's brought. Um, And, you know, speaking of corruption and Trump, uh, though, it does appear that we're nearing, and I know we've been hearing this for, what, six mm-hmm. years now, uh, that we are nearing some sort of finalization of an indictments from the Department of Justice uh, yeah. coming down for him. Um, and, you know, I, I think if that is indeed the case and he is charged under the Espionage Act and, um, you know, these things are as strong as they appear to be. And that Mark Meadows, as reports were yesterday, uh, has flipped on him and started providing evidence and has uh, agreed to plead guilty to several lesser crimes, um man, that's some real trouble right there, brother
2: well, yes and no, yes and no it's It's legal trouble for him, yes yeah but but I still think that Trump has done a un, Unfortunately, he has done a a very effective job of sowing seeds of discord so deep that the that the, that, the, that, the, that they they cannot be undone. I just think the damage he's done to the country is permanent, so yeah. it doesn't matter if in my to my way of thinking, it's not going to matter. If he's indicted, it's not going to matter if he's convicted. Yeah. The, the, the destructive impact on the company, on the political, uh, construct of the country, it's, it's never going to be healed. It's, it's, I think, I don't think, I mean, or if it is, it's going to be literally a miraculous kind of candidate or something, but he's, I mean, it's just, no, I, listen. I don't necessarily disagree with you
1: on anything that you've just said, right there. Um, mm. However, I do think that the the facts of things often matter. Um, oh, and, yes. Oh, and, yes. And oh yes, and and that there are there there is a way, um, that there is a way. If this is a solid case, as it seems to be. Mm-hmm. and and that there are his closest allies uh turning against him and and also entering guilty pleas and and sharing this information that lead to his indictment and ultimate conviction uh especially if he were to plead guilty on on some of these things which i think is a real possibility um i think that changes A viewpoint of a lot of people of who he is. And without him as the face of this idiotic movement, whatever it is, I think that it takes a a real blow and that maybe we can somehow or another move past some of this stuff.
2: Well, I, you know, from your lips to God's ears, I mean, I I hope that we'll be able to move past it. I just, Mm -hmm. I have my doubts that we Will ever be completely past it. I think the, the ghost of Trump is going to haunt this country for decades. What's up, you know, in the ghost? form of other people, whether it's those one of those idiot boys of his, or whether it's some Trump wannabe like the or somebody else. Yeah. I just think he has sown seeds of discord that we you know they're going to be weeds in the lawn of our political landscape forever. That's what I think. Now, does it mean I, that he shouldn't be indicted? Absolutely not. He ought to be indicted. He ought to be convicted. History needs to document what this man did and also, God willing, what punishment will be meted out to him because of what he did. Yeah. But 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 will we as a nation be able to recover? Josh, I don't see it happening in my lifetime or yours.
1: Yeah, and you may be right. I, I'll say this. I do wish that, uh, you know, that there were a way to you know, indict him or some of the more serious things that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that we're talking about documents, I think that's an easy knock for a lot of people on the other side. And I'm not knocking the, the illegalities and the things that he did and the stupid way he handled things. And and I don't know, and I'll say this too, that is with me having zero information about this espionage stuff, okay? Mm-hmm. And if he actually were was in the process of, of selling something or allowing a, a foreign nations to, to use our information or whatever, uh, or if he just put it at Risk that way, uh, so I don't know about that, and it may rise to a level that that, that the, like I'm talking about. But you know, right now it's a it's an easy knock to say. Oh, are you talking about documents? Didn't Biden have documents? Didn't Pence have documents? Don't the Clintons have documents? You know, are you kidding? You know, what about Hillary server? You know, um, yeah. and. And, and so I think it's an easy knock for people to, to, to knock that back. And so that makes me lean more towards what you're saying about, you know, this is, uh, you know, something that's going to hang with us for, for a very long time. Now I will say that those idiot kids of his you know, outside of Ivanka, uh, and I, who I don't think is, I think she's just perfectly willing to fade away, uh, and, and be done like- with. With her $2 billion from the Saudis. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, but the other two, I mean, honestly, I I, 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 I don't know that they could find their way to a political convention uh, without him.
2: Uh, well, you know, I think there are people around Trump who would be glad to escort them. And yeah, I, don't know maybe. If, I don't know if Steve Bannon is still going to be around or, or uh, that other guy whose name I can't remember now, who was a, a big, um, uh, player, uh, geez, I'm looking at his face and I can't remember his name, but but there are people in his orbit who I think would be glad to prop a Trump, a Trump, uh, child up there and, uh, and stick yeah. their hands up the cracks of their behinds and, yeah. and make their mouths God. talk. That's, that's
1: a, Terrible image. It's a terrible know, I'm image. Sorry. I'm sorry.
2: It's okay. I, have you ever? Can, uh, have you ever I can seen sense the, that I was going too far with that.
1: No, no, it's okay. Have you ever seen the uh, the parody of the Trump brothers on SNL?
2: Not the brothers. No, I've seen oh, parodies of Trump, but not the brothers.
1: Uh, uh, I will. Uh, I'll send you some videos when we get posted. <laughs> you'll you'll enjoy. Yeah, I, I have. Uh, there, there are few things on that show that I have laughed at as hard as I've laughed at that right there. Consistently, mm, okay. it is it consistently the one of the funnier <laughs> things. The, <laughs> the portrayal of Eric <laughs> as just basically a three year old child.
0: Oh, uh, just, okay. oh, I mean,
1: with the brain power of a three year old child, but uh, so yeah, but which is probably not far off. Um, but. Uh, Listen, I, oh, by the way, just real quick, uh, a minute or so here, um, the legislative session wrapped up. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to write a column uh, probably for Monday and say that it was probably the most positive session, legislative session for a red state that you could hope for. Hmm. D- yeah. agree
2: or disagree I, I would say I would say that all things considered considering what we got past like the the uh the uh, relief for uh, on taxation for people working overtime and considering what got squashed like uh, that dumb, what is a woman? Uh
1: yeah. Oh listen, man, look. So we had we had uh, we had the overtime tax repeal, we had the grocery yeah. tax repeal. Yes. Uh, oh yeah, that, I forgot
2: about that when I was yeah, a great we had
1: there. the that game plan uh stuff, you know, that was economic incentives, but they had a lot of stuff for rural communities in there as yeah. well. Um, you know, and there were some other bills that, that were yeah. that were fairly good bills. Uh we, we squashed divisive concepts, we squashed what is a woman, we squashed um uh, the, the criminalization of, of women who have abortions. Uh, Uh, We squashed the Price Act. Uh, We squashed, uh, uh, you know, the and that was the charter school or not charter school, but the the you know paying people to go to the uh, whatever you know private schools they wanted to go to. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, honestly, it and and more than anything else, when you looked at what look at what was happening in Tennessee, in Florida, uh, and some other places, the the kind of spirit of cooperation among Republicans and Democrats. Was something that was fairly uncommon, I believe.
2: So, uh, so a couple of questions because you've sure. obviously given this a lot of thought uh, as we wrap up here. First, first let me say uh, to answer your uh, initial question, I do agree with you. As I started to say, between uh, what was what was passed and what was squashed, I think it was a very good session for people on our side of the political spectrum. But what I want to ask you is. How did that happen? What is this a matter of, you know, because we had, okay, we had a Speaker of the House previously, Mac Mm McClutchin, who I would argue was a pretty, you know, as Republicans go, pretty decent guy, right? Yeah, I don't don't disagree. Yeah. So Mac, but Mac is gone. Mm -hmm. So how did this happen?
1: Uh, I, I gave a lot of credit to Nathaniel Ledbetter. Um, okay. And uh, I think and and Anthony Daniels um, uh-huh. uh, and I think that those two guys very early on talked and and uh, Ledbetter wanted to want, did not want. And matter of fact, he said we are not going to be Tennessee. We are going to talk to each other. We're going to respect each other. We're going to do things. You're not going to agree with all the bills that come up here. We understand that he said, but we're going to give each other. Uh, opportunities for legislation, and I think that they honored that. Um, and I think that the Dem- Anthony Daniels as well went over and talked to them, and they he got support for. They were deeply. He and Bobby Singleton were deeply involved in that whole game plan deal over the economic incentive packages, uh, and I think that helped out. Uh, they had they developed good relationships with each other, and I I think Ledbetter, unlike McCutcheon, McCutcheon was not a bad guy mm-hmm. at all. I, I liked him. And mm-hmm. but I don't think he was the leader that that Ledbetter is. And, and okay. by that, I mean, uh, he just said, I'm here. Uh, we're going to, you know, if you want to put the bill up, we'll do it that way or whatever. And I think he got pushed over a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't think Ledbetter did that. I think he reached out to the the crazy caucus a lot of times and said, that's never going to fly. You can put that on you can file it if you want to file it, but we ain't we are not touching it and I think that happened with with several bills uh this session
2: so, so why josh why did he why was that his disposition
1: i I think is that he, a, he he was a, a moderate
2: guy or something I, or what
1: I think so I think ultimately he's a more moderate person, but I think what his his overview of government is is it has a role uh that is limited and and that to do so you have to you know practice what you preach so to speak and and you're not doing that by you know talking you know criminalizing uh women for doing this, for you know having healthcare procedures or you're not doing this for uh you're not doing that for a variety of these other things and uh, and he told them all that you want to write a divisive concepts bill okay well you got to explain what's in there All right. And it's got, it can't be this vague nonsense that we're just passing to pass something. You, if you want to do that, pass a resolution, you know, and we'll, we'll pass a resolution. But I just think that that was his mindset is we're going to have a productive session. Here And and when I say productive, we're going to do things that, that benefit the people of Alabama, uh, business development and growth and things of that nature. And I think that's what he set his focus on uh, for, for this initial session where he was the speaker. And, and I think that that fit well. And I'm hopeful as what I was going to write is I'm hopeful that now that this is a blueprint for them to follow. I think right. I think everybody in the state walks away from this session With some benefits. Yeah, there were a couple of bad things that went on and there were a lot of stuff that you could throw rocks at and things like that. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at the tax cuts that came about and the legislation that didn't go through, I think most people in this state can say it was a pretty good session.
2: Okay, well, I'm going to you. You have definitely sold me on the idea that I need to pay more attention to Ledbetter. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, Is he any relation to uh, Lily Ledbetter? I am
1: not aware of that. He's from Rainsville. Uh I know that. Oh. He was the mayor of Rainsville for a while. And okay. so uh I'm I'm not aware of him uh, of of that lineage, but uh I I'll say and listen, and in, in in the Senate as well, Greg Reed, but to probably a lesser degree. This, the Senate is a little easier to deal with. Uh, there's a, there's a lot more grownups in the Senate than there are in the house. And so I think a lot of times yeah. it's, it's a little easier to manage. And so, uh, you know, I think I, I disagreed with Reed on allowing Arthur Orr to do some of the things that he did. Uh, but I, I still felt like at the end of the day, that thing got handled and, you know, and, and you know, congrats to, uh, to Kay Ivey as well for bringing the hammer down on that, uh, overtime tax thing and, and mm-hmm. getting that bill where it needed to be too. So, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, I think that's, And to uh,
2: your boy, and to your boy, Will Ainsworth, on the grocery tax.
1: That's right. Got, got it done. Get her done, yeah. baby. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, and not wrote. He did. Listen, it. it was something he didn't have to do. It was uh it was an uncomfortable yeah. position to take. He didn't have to take it, and he did. He took it on, and he should be congratulated for that. Uh, I, I uh, knew
2: you'd written a hymn of praise to him. I, I knew that. <laughs>
3: uh, uh, well, listen.
1: You know, that's yeah. You that's know, bald people have got to stick together. Uh, uh,
2: you know, all white right. guys unite. All That's right. right.
1: That's right. <laughs> all right, let's uh, let's let's get out of here. Until uh, right, till next week, y'all be safe out there.
2: Peace.